Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. Recently, we had in the Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic Church in America, what we call Metropolia, meaning our churches, our eparchies, coast to coast in America for the Ruthenian jurisdiction of the Byzantine Rite. We had what is a very, very significant event, which I participated in, which I do each time. It was the event known as the Byzantine, spelled B-Y-Z-A-N-T-E-E-N, Byzantine Youth Rally. And this is where the teenagers from all of our parishes, coast to coast, come together every other year, and the venue changes. It's hosted by each respective eparchy each year. Usually it takes place on a college campus because that can accommodate us the best. This year it took place in Notre Dame College in Cleveland, Ohio. And this Byzantine Youth Rally, as I mentioned, brings our teenagers from all over the country to a central place. Just basically to do like the word rally says, to rally, to rally together, to largely to build community. And there's a reason for that. And we're also going to talk about what it is that the Eastern Christian spirituality has to offer youth today. In other words, how do we minister to youth through those riches and gifts which are particular to the eastern lung of the church? Oftentimes we're asked about the situation of young people in our parishes and our churches. Do we have youth? What do we do with our youth? Is it something similar to what we might find in the Latin Rite diocese? Do we have youth programs and youth directors and so on? These are very good questions, and the answer to those questions really lie in in those gifts and riches of the Eastern Church, the riches and gifts that are germane, particular to the Eastern Churches, this is where we go. Our youth ministry really is in who we are, our sacramental, liturgical, monastic, ascetical heritage. This is where we go. 
We might borrow ideas and be influenced by people from the outside and how others do things, and we'll avail ourselves of that. But largely where we go is into ourselves in a good way to discover the riches that are there and to use those riches so that the young people have an experience of Christ, you know, their faith, but through what is familiar to them as, in our case, Byzantine Catholics. The Byzantine Youth Rally has been going on in our Ruthenian metropolia for, well, since the year 2000. And as I mentioned, it's every other year. This year it was held in Ohio. In 2018, it'll be held in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, hosted by the Archeparchy of Pittsburgh. And in order to understand how we minister to youth, what we have to offer in the Eastern churches to our youth, we have to first understand who they are, who these Byzantines are. Again, spelled B-Y-Z-A-N-T-E-E-N, purposely spelled that way, pun intended. Byzantines, as we call them, the Byzantines of the Byzantine Catholic Church. In order to understand them and how to minister to them, there are certain things we first have to understand about adolescence and also the church and its heritage. In the Eastern churches, we repeat often the theme of the three youths in the fiery furnace. Remember that from the book of Daniel? The three youths in the fiery furnace. In fact, Daniel himself was a young man as well, a young hero as well. Each day in the calendar, the liturgical calendar of the Eastern churches, there is at least one saint that is commemorated. Oftentimes there's more. And what I've done, because I like to work with young people, I think it's very important, is I've gone through that calendar and each time there is a saint, and I read about it each day from the what's called the Synaxarian, which is basically a four-volume set that explains the lives of the saints and the Eastern calendar. I've touted that many times here in the program and still do. Whenever I look through those books, those volumes, I find the history of these saints, and I mark down whenever there is a saint who was a teenager or even a child, in other words, a young saint, child teenager, young adult. And I have found, in fact, the way I put it to teenagers is, it seems to me that when God wants to get the job done, he calls upon teenagers. That's how predominant they are in the great list of saints. In fact, in really in the East and Western lungs of the church. Think about it, even in a very obvious case, <laughs> the greatest of all, the Blessed Virgin Mary. She was a teenager when the Holy Spirit came to her. At the very most, she was a teenager. She may, may even have been 12 years old. We don't know, but she was certainly not beyond her teenage years. We have, as I mentioned, the story of the three youths in the book of Daniel and, and of Daniel himself, which is, again, a repeated theme in the Eastern liturgical tradition. So there's a great emphasis, actually a, a great testimony in the tradition of the Eastern churches to the witness of teenagers, saints who are of that age. And so much so, as I mentioned, it seems like God almost favors that age group. That's the first thing, the first thing we want to understand about teenagers. We need to come out of the way that they oftentimes present or defined in the secular world. They're oftentimes defined as some separate, odd, troublesome age group that's very difficult to work with. And I think a big reason for this is because that opened up markets. You know, they could have their own particular styles of dress, their own particular music that was separate from their parents. And that, literally what that did was, that was, a, I believe, a contrivance. And it 
pull teenagers away from their families oftentimes, their parents, and even from their churches. And this is especially starting in the 1950s and 60s, and it went through the 70s and so on. And I think this was really contrived, that this is not really the truth about teenagers. They are very much a part of family and church and ought to be seen that way. But they're also, I think, in a sense, as I mentioned, favored by God because their witness is so dynamic, so prevalent among the saints and also in the Scripture. So teenagers are particularly not troublesome group. They're particularly, I think, special group in God's eyes, in the eyes of the church, certainly in my eyes as a pastor. And to understand teenagers more fully, which is very important before we begin to understand how to minister to them through our church, understand a few things like this. Teenagers, that age group, it seems to be a contradiction, but they desire authority. I say contradiction because it seems like they rebel against authority. (laughs) Many parents will know that. But actually, it's only because they desire it. They desire authority to be what it says that it is, which then brings me to another characteristic of teenagers, of the adolescent age, psychologically and spiritually. They have a heightened sense of authenticity. That was they can tell if you're a hypocrite, what they consider to be a hypocrite, or if you're not real, if you're trying to be, as oftentimes happens when people deal with teenagers, you're trying to be, well, artificially hip. You're trying to relate to them in a contrived way. You're trying to become one of them when they know that you're not. They don't expect you to be. They would want you to understand them, but they don't want you to pretend to be one of them, especially if you're an adult. They see through things very, very clearly. They have like x-ray vision, more so, I think, than any other age group. So authority is something they really want, and that's actually the reason They strike at it oftentimes because they want it bad enough. They want to see if it is authentic. So they strike at it to test it. Now, they don't know they're doing this, but that's really what's happening in their psyche. They're testing it to see if it is for real, if it'll stand up against their best shots. And they want authority to stand up. They want authority to be authentic. They want parents to be parents, priests to be priests, teachers to be teachers, and so on. They don't want you to be their buddies. They don't want you to cave under their challenges or their rebellions because deep down inside, they need and want authority. They may not understand that. They may not be conscious of that. They may not admit that, but that is the truth of them. So whenever we're challenged by the teenage group, especially if you're in a position of authority, consider it to be a signal for you to remain strong and authentic in who you are because that's really what the teenager wants from you and expects from you, and they'll respect you more for it. Teenagers also are a constellation of paradoxes. As I mentioned, they strike at authority only because they want authority. They need authority. They need that stability in their lives as they are in this sometimes confusing and challenging period of transition. But they also are a paradox in this respect. They're very altruistic. They will have very high ideals about saving the world and making the world a better place and how we should be towards people compassionately and so on. At the very same time, they have an inherent narcissism. And I don't mean that to criticize them. I mean that as a characteristic of adolescence, because again, they're in transition. And what they'll do is they'll talk about being for others and what needs to happen and and 
be done for others in a very, very caring way. While at the same time, they get very much into their own emotions, their own feelings. So much so that their feelings will oftentimes overwhelm them. They don't oftentimes know how to handle their feelings. Feelings are very, very acute. They're very intense for teenagers, and that is why oftentimes they become very self-centered, while at the same time being very altruistic and idealistic. When we come back, we're going to talk more about teenagers and how the riches of the Eastern churches can confront and reach them and call them to become the best versions of their teenage selves. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, talking today about teenagers, especially in respect to their own heritage, those who are of the Eastern Christian lung of the church, and what Eastern Christianity, Eastern spirituality has to offer them. Oftentimes I've asked that, asked these questions, you know, do you have teenagers? What do you do for them? What are your youth programs like? We mentioned a few things characteristic of teenagers, and that's where we have to start. We have to start with who they are, what their needs are. And we just in review, we mentioned they're a consolation of paradox. And this is not a criticism, it's just an, an accurate evaluation of who they are and what their needs are. They want authority, yet they strike at authority. They want authenticity. They have a very, very razor-sharp perception of that or who is not authentic and honest with them. They are altruistic and narcissistic all at the same time. Now, there are other characteristics as well. But now we want to look at what does Eastern Christianity have to offer them? How do we minister to them as Eastern Christian churches? First of all, our churches are, of course, generally much smaller than Latin Rite parishes. Not in every case, but for the most part. And so there is a certain intimacy, a certain one-on-one relationship that the priest will have with his teenagers automatically. If he's not that involved in teenagers, they know that he's their spiritual father, he's their pastor, he's their priest, and he knows them. They're close enough. Even if he's not the type that really works a lot with teenagers personally, he's going to automatically be close to them. He's going to be familiar to them and he will be familiar to them, and they will be familiar to him. So there's already a closeness by virtue of the character of the parish, the makeup of an Eastern Catholic parish, which again is usually much, much smaller than a Latin Rite parish. So it already starts to provide a certain venue or opportunity for working with these young people. 
an opportunity for one-on-one instruction or just being with them, coming to know them, coming to be for them and be that authentic priest for them, that authentic spiritual father, that authentic pastor, that authentic authority figure in their life. The second thing is teenagers, like everybody, but in particular teenagers, they do like mystery. They do like things that are beyond them. And in the Eastern churches, in the liturgy of the churches, there definitely is a very strong sense of that mystery. The teenagers who desire to know and experience and be touched by things greater than themselves, although it seems like they don't because they sometimes rebel against it, they will have a sense by virtue of experiencing their own liturgy of something greater than themselves, that there is something that has an integrity and authority that is beyond them. They can't fully explain it. They know it's greater than they are. They know it's worthy of respect. They know that they can't put it all together in their heads. They can't best it. It can stand up against their greatest questions, their greatest challenges. And that is the very liturgy and way of prayer of their church. The third thing is their church inherently challenges them. And teenagers really need a challenge. Now, notice what I'm saying here. I'm not saying so much in terms of programs, because when you have a smaller situation, as we do in the Eastern churches, yes, there, there has to be a certain degree of programming or programmatizing of things, but that's not really where the strength lies in the Eastern churches when it comes to youth ministry. It's in this availability, this access to their own spirituality, which is very immediate by virtue of being small the churches being small. So there is a challenge that teenagers need that helps to bring them outside of themselves. And this challenge comes from their own Eastern Christian spirituality. Things such as fasting and the rigors of fasting, especially if you present it to them in a way that really challenges them. For example, can they go all during the Lenten period every day during Lent, the 40 days, without meat or dairy products. Now, they would have to be careful, too, because they are developing physically, and they don't want to deny themselves what they really need at that age. But there is still room for a challenge in that area to the teenagers. Can they do all of the prostrations that are suggested during Lent or even during the St. Andrew of Crete? Can they attend the holy days, the feast days of the liturgical calendar? In other words, can they put aside some of their other commitments that are basically of the secular world and put as a priority the liturgical life of their own church. I was very proud as a pastor to see that one of my young ladies in our group during the Byzantine Youth Rally told me she gave up a softball tournament, which she was a star pitcher. Yeah, she was a star pitcher in a softball tournament, and she gave that up to attend the Byzantine Youth Rally. Now, that's exactly what I mean. That was a challenge. And oftentimes, I put that challenge to my teenagers. Can you put aside, at least for a little bit, these other activities that are I know are so rewarding for you, so interesting for you, so exciting, so much fun for you? Can you put that aside and put God in the church first? Now, I'm not saying you have to give up everything you do, all, the, all their activities, But when it comes to things that are asked of you by your own church, the holy days, the feast days, the fasting, the prayer, the extra acts of charity, 
the things that are all part of the liturgical life of their church. Can you do that? Can you embrace that? It's a challenge. And actually, nowadays, it's a very weighty challenge. The other thing is, it's to present to our teenagers the rich tradition, as I mentioned earlier, of our saints so that they can identify with these saints. They can identify with people their own age that have to become very real to them. One of the things I told our teenagers is that something that I do every day is when I get up or even the evening before, if I do Vespers, because the evening prayer of the church begins the next day, the first thing I want to know of that day, of that new day, is who is the saint for that day? And I'm very conscious of it. In fact, I like to wake up to that saint, the idea that, okay, who's my saint today? Because that saint then becomes something like a little friend for me, like a little extra guardian angel. I talk to that saint during the day. I think about them. I read about them. I pray to them. They're going to be my buddy for that day. And then when I go to bed at night, I'm all excited to wake up to who the new buddy is going to be. So the saints become real. They become real to me. And we offer that to our teenagers that these saints become real to them, especially because there are so many saints. Another thing that can minister to our teenagers from their own unique Eastern Christian spirituality are a lot of the answers that are, of course, very significant to teenagers, that age group, a lot of the answers about love, relationships, sexuality. The reason why the Eastern Christian, their own Eastern Christian spirituality is so significant in that regard is because it is actually in the context of the liturgy of the church that we find the whole order of man-woman relationships, of marriage, of the whole spousal mystery, of how man should be for a woman and woman shall be for man. Believe it or not, it is found in the liturgy of the church, in the art, the architecture of the church. Because the very setting of the church itself with the different zones, the sanctuary, the nave, the vestibule, the narthex, these are all patterned after really what was the original pattern of the Jewish temple. And that pattern was set because it was an experience of the spousal relationship between the bridegroom, God, and the bride, Israel. So the fundamental relationship between God and us can best be expressed in an analogous form as a marriage, as St. John Paul II said, a spousal relationship. And indeed, in the Eastern churches, especially the Byzantine churches, like the Jewish temple, the sanctuary is set apart from the nave. It's separated by a great wall called the icon screen because the sanctuary, the part beyond that wall, the Holy of Holies, where only the ordained ministers go, is symbolically, and by that I mean in a very real way, the nuptial chamber, like it was in the Old Testament temple. It is the Holy of Holies. It is the place where the bridegroom, Christ, will meet his bride on the altar, the nuptial bed of the altar in the Eucharist, where both will give their whole selves to one another in holy communion. So there's a very deep spousal mystery that is contained and woven through the very liturgy of the church and expressed in its art and architecture, the very way that the church is designed and laid out and what goes on in there. The priest stands at the altar, and on the altar is the tabernacle. Above the tabernacle is painted 
the icon of the Platitera. This is the icon of the Mother of God, with the Christ being shown as if coming from her heart, from inside of her, from her womb. And she is, therefore, then the mystical tabernacle. And as the priest stands before that icon in the tabernacle, he does so as the only authorized person to steward the tabernacle, to protect its dignity and holiness. Well, this becomes now an analogy for the relationship of man to woman. Man being defined really as priest and like the priest at the altar, is called to protect, to steward the intrinsic dignity of womanhood, who herself has within her very body what you might call a tabernacle, a holy place, her womb, the meeting point of heaven and earth. And the whole relationship between a man and a woman can actually be seen in the context of the relationship between the priest and the tabernacle. The priest in the Holy of Holies. And this is woven throughout other dimensions of the liturgy in the liturgical text and other aspects of the art and the architecture. This concept needs to develop a lot more, but it is important to realize that for teenagers, to help them understand in a very real way who they are as man and woman and all those questions, we need only to take them into their own church and deep into their own liturgy, their art and their architecture. Their art and their architecture. There is much that the Eastern churches have to offer teenagers. I want to thank you for listening. I am Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. More to life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchak. The church has 2,000 years of wisdom to share on what it takes to live life gracefully. We're so overwhelmed by how much our faith has transformed our marriage and family especially. We want everyone to experience the incredible gift that the Catholic vision of life and love really is. More to life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchak. Weekdays, 10 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!